my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar, and I have the privilege of sharing with you the true story of the whole world, at least a part of it. Uh, so pray with me, please. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather from so many places. Some of us are here full of faith and joy, excited to be in the new pillar building. Others dragged here by a parent. wandered in here with questions. And if we're honest, we all, we're all asking questions. We're asking questions about meaning and purpose, value. So meet us in this moment. Meet us with our questions. Meet us as we are. And then take us to the place you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Uh, there's a single verse I want to act as something like a refrain for us this morning. If the circumstances of life feel more overwhelming than like thriving, if, if there's anxiety stirring or fear running and you just want to run, this might just be the verse for you. The battle belongs to the Lord. I don't know who needs to hear it, so I'll just say it. The battle belongs to the Lord. I know some of your stories, I don't presume to predict all of your stories, so let me just offer it. The battle belongs to the Lord. If life and the circumstances of life seem more like a battle than life, this might just be the verse for you. I want you to put your fists down. And open your hands. You can even actually do it physically if, if you think that'd be helpful. I want you to put your fists down. Open your hands. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. We'll come back to the verse. I want you to listen now to the story that promises it. Now the Philistines gathered their armies. They were gathered at Soko and were encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. Saul and all Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and they formed lines against the Philistines. 
The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. The Israelites stood on the mountain on the other. There was a valley between them. There came from the camp of the Philistines a champion of Gath named Goliath. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze between his shoulders. The, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. And a shield bearer went in front of him. He came up and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you draw lines for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? The Philistine said, Choose for yourselves a man to fight. If he's willing and kills me, we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you'll be our servants and serve us. Today, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and the Israelites heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite in Bethlehem of Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, he was already old and advanced in years. His three eldest sons followed Saul to battle. The name of his three eldest sons, the first was Eliab, next to him Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul to battle David went back and forth between Saul and keeping the sheep of his father at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came and stood morning and evening. Jesse said to his son David, Take to your brothers this ephah of parched grain and these ten loaves. Bring them quickly and take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See how it fares for your brothers and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early and left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and did as Jesse had instructed him. As he came to the encampment, the men of Israel were going out to battle, shouting the war cry, the armies of the Philistines and the armies of the Israelites, army against army. David left the things with the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks. He went and greeted his brothers. As he was talking to them, the Philistine, the champion of Gath, Goliath by name, came out from the ranks of the Philistines and said the same things as before. And David heard them. The Israelites, when they saw the man, they, were, they fled from him. For they were afraid. And the Israelites said, Who is this man who comes up, who defies the armies of Israel? The king will enrich the man who kills him and give him his daughter and free his family in Israel. And David said, What shall be done for the man who kills this uncircumcised Philistine? Who removes this reproach from Israel? 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? And those who were next to him told him the same thing as before. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the eldest, heard David talking to the men. And his anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You're just here to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? It was only a question. And he turned away from him and said the same thing as before to the others. And they said to him the same thing again. Now the words that David had spoken were repeated to Saul, and Saul called for David. And David said, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you can't go and fight the Philistine. You're just a young boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. And David said, your servant used to keep the flock of his father. And when a lion or bear came and took one from the flock, your servant would go after him, chase it down, and strike him down. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and so will do the same to this uncircumcised Philistine. The Lord will deliver who delivered your servant from the hand of the lion and from the hand of the bear will also deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David in his armor put a bronze helmet on his head, clothed him in a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk because he was not used to them. He said to Saul, I can't walk, for I'm not used to these, and he removed them. Then he took a staff in his hand, five smooth stones from the wadi, put them in his shepherd's pouch in the bag, And he had a sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. When the Philistine came with his shield-bearer in front of him, and he looked at David, who was just a boy, ruddy and handsome in appearance, he disdained him. He said to him, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. And he said, today I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the animals of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. And I will feed the flesh of the armies of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the animals of the earth. And all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. And this assembly will know the Lord saves not by sword or spear. For the battle belongs to the Lord. And he will give you into my hands. So the Philistine drew nearer to David. And David ran to the ranks and reached in his pouch and took a stone and slung it. And it struck the Philistine on the forehead, and it sunk into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David prevailed against the Philistine, striking him down and killing him with a sling and a stone. 
He had no sword in his hand. He ran to the Philistine, stood over the Philistine, grasped his sword, drew it from its sheath, and killed him. And cut off his head. When the armies of the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the armies of Israel and Judah pursued them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The wounded Philistines fell from Shamaraim to Ekron and Gath. Then the Israelites returned from pursuing them and plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine to Jerusalem. But he kept his armor in his tent. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. We share that story to our children. It's one, I'm so glad Nora had to leave. <laughs> it's just in time. It's 1 Samuel 17. It's one of the most famous stories in all of human history. Cinderella, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, David and Goliath. Only this one's true. One of the things that surprises me about pastoral ministry, continually surprises me, which, is it still a surprise if you're continually surprised? Uh, All of the stories that sit in these pews. I think the surprise is we're all always saying, I'm fine, it's good. And then you email me, and we go out for coffee, and it doesn't sound fine. That doesn't seem good. Sometimes life feels more like a battle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It seems more like a battle than a life. So I want you to put your fist down, even if only for just a few minutes. Just just for a moment, put your fist down. Open your hands. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. So when the, uh, when the battle rages, I want you to resist the way of violence. I want you to claim identity, and I want you to trust. We'll start with the violence just to get it over with. What's up with all the violence? I mean, listen to this. David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grasped his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him. Then he cut off his head with it. Wouldn't it be just as good if he like killed him with the stone? And why do we even have to get into the details? Grasped his sword, sword, drew it out, and killed him, and then cut off his head. And it's not just David and Goliath, it's all over the Old Testament. Violence, violence, violence. What do you do with all the violence? Sometimes we try to separate the old from the new. The vengeful, violent, angry God of the Old Testament gives way to the laughing, lamb-holding, kid-cuddling Jesus of the New Testament. Have you read the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira? Just trying to tend to their retirement. 25% of the Gospels center around the cross, the crucifixion, the blood. And how about the weeping and gnashing of teeth part? Blood runs down the stone streets of the gospel. We try to separate it, but it doesn't hold any water. 
What do you do with the virus? Or we just ignore it. It doesn't really fit into the plausibility structure of our gentle faith where God's primary purpose is to affirm all of my needs, wants, and feelings. What do we do with the violent? That doesn't, well, God is love. Just say that again. God is love. And then tattoo things down your shin to make you feel better. Peace, shalom, Irene. That's Greek. What do we do with all the violence? I mean, really faithful and wise people have been thinking about this for a long time, so far be it for me to suggest I'm just going to clear up all the confusion here real quick on a Sunday morning. But let me make this suggestion. One of the church fathers, desert fathers, 2,000 years ago said, what God did not assume, what God did not take on, God did not redeem. Which was another way of saying God assumed life. God assumed flesh and blood in order to redeem it. God took on violence. God took on violence in Jesus Christ. He didn't go the way of violence. He endured the violence. And while they pierced his hands with railroad ties, he said, Father, forgive them. When they stabbed his side, he was praying. Resist, when the battles rage, resist the way of violence. Now, surely, clearly, no one's walking around with swords and spears and javelins in pillar, right? <laughs> Maybe not sword and spear or javelin, but your tongue? Do you know how much violence your tongue can do? Your time? Do you know how much violence your lack of time and attention can mean for someone who needs it? Your resources, when kept to yourself rather than offered generously to the world? No one's walking around with sword and spear and javelin. We, have, we don't need those. We have so many other ways. When the, when the battle rages... I want you to resist the way of violence. Jesus took it on himself so that you don't have to do it anymore. And I want you to claim identity. Now, there are all kinds of battles going on in 1 Samuel 17. It's not just David and Goliath. It's not just Philistines versus Israel. It's not just the God of Israel versus the God of the Philistines. The battle exists within David too. There's all kinds of tension in this story for David. His, his dad, so David is the youngest. Got, they didn't even ask David to show up when they were going to figure out who's going to be the next king. They I don't even think they thought about him. He didn't even get invited to the family gathering. David's the youngest. David's the shepherd boy. With whom did you keep those few sheep in the wilderness? Jesse, David's dad, calls David and says, go to your brothers and bring some token from them. And David says, oh, I'll, I'll bring a token, dad. You want a token, dad? I'll prove it to you, dad. I'll show you, dad. Cuts off his head, brings the head to Jerusalem, but he keeps his armor in his tent. I'll show you, Dad. I'll bring you a token, Dad. There's a battle inside of David. In this, you, the, the way the storyteller tells the story, you actually don't know if he's celebrating David. All this talk of there was no sword in his hand. The Lord will save not by sword or spear. And what's the last scene we have with David? He stands over the Philistine. He grasps the sword, from, pulls it out of its sheath, and kills him. The last scene we have is David holding a sword, all the time announcing there was no sword in his hand. 
There's this tension in David. The question is, who are you? When the battle, and then there's this comic scene. You, you actually laughed. I'm so glad you were paying attention. We get this big description of Goliath. Six cubits. I don't even know what that is, but it's big. It's like seven feet tall. Six cubits in a span. He's got a bronze helmet on. He's all this impressive stuff, and we're all impressed. And when the Israelites see him, they run. And then you get David. If you're going to fight fire, you better bring fire. If you're going to fight strength, you better bring strength. So Saul clothes David with a bronze helmet and a coat of mail, and he takes Saul's sword, and he can't move. When the battle rages, we don't need a better someone else. We need a more faithful you. You defined and described the way the gospel does. Oh, why is the Bible, the gospels especially, always insisting on identity? You're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved, you're a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, God's own people over and over. It's about identity, it's about who you are. Live into that when the battle rages. Live into not what the voices shout at you or you think of you, but rather what the living God says about you. Claim identity. And then I want you to trust. I know it's so easy to say, especially in a sanctuary on a Sunday. You know. But I want you to trust. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm not going to ask for the details of your situation. I'll just let you get in touch with them. The battle belongs to the Lord. Is it possible? Could it be that God is so intent on redeeming the world and you in it that actually the battle isn't even yours? The battle you're fighting, the battle your faces doesn't belong to you. The battle belongs to the Lord. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, is it possible God fights for you? How does that go? The Apostle Paul said it. If God is for us, who can be against us? The battle belongs to the Lord. So my friend whose anxiety has gone to depression is now wreaking havoc on the marriage and the family and the professional life. Is it possible the battle belongs to the Lord? So you're wondering about the future and all of the questions and all of the concerns and you just want to be wanted, you want to provide, so you work harder, do more, get better, fine, maybe the battle belongs to the Lord. Last Sunday, we had the remarkable privilege of announcing with you the birth of Piper and Izzy Bickle, born to Jay and Hillary, two twins. They were born, well, one set of twins, Izzy and Piper. They were born 27 weeks, at 27 weeks. But they surprised us with their strength and their tenacity. All reports, it's good, they're doing great. And then on Monday, uh, for little Piper, her health took a turn, a drastic, dramatic, and fast turn. Uh, 
Jay and Hillary were called to her teeny little bedside where she breathed her last. Jay and Hillary have been launched into the battle of grief. The kind of pain Jay texted Jonathan. Jonathan shared with me. I went back and forth with Jay. I'm sharing all of this with his permission, of course. Uh, he, he wanted to make sure you knew how much they miss her. Uh, in a text from earlier in the week, this is from Jay. It seems a cruel reversal now. The news. But we trust God to guard and guide Piper and to mend our crushed spirits in due time. Their family is surrounding them, upholding them. They'll let us know how and when we can swing into care too, but for now, we'll give them space. It seems a cruel reversal now, the news, but we trust God to guard and guide Piper and to mend our crushed spirits in due time. Is it Jay's way of saying the battle belongs to the Lord? The battle belongs to the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.